Howdy friends, I'm Molly, your host today, and I want to welcome you back to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in the areas of restoration, training, and outreach. And it's been super, super fun because we do this by using a combination of exploring biblical principles and then also taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course. And then finally, we have tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it really means to follow Jesus in these three areas. So as always, I'm excited. (laughs) So for today's episode, we're going to be sitting down with Sandy Orchard, of course, our co-founder and vice president. Hello. Woohoo. And also our Bible geek. And then we're going to be having a discussion about the reality that God is always with us. What a great subject. Right? We just have to look for it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do this by taking a closer look at a few verses from 1 Kings and the life of Elijah. Yeah, that should be fun. It will be really fun. So super excited. Hello, Sandy. (laughs) Hi, Molly. So I think to kick things off, Sandy, will you just share a little bit about why we chose to focus on this subject today? Yes. You know, at Christmas time, we sing the old song, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's, it's kind of old. Maybe the younger crowd doesn't quite know it as well, but um, it's just, and it's become this like rote thing. And even in, in churches, a lot of times there's, there's some other songs to talk about God with us, but I think it just, it just kind of, sometimes I think it's challenging to us and like, do we really believe that God was, is with us? Mm-hmm. And so, or is it just a nice song to sing in church and to follow along with the crowd sort of thing? And so I know with my own, you know, following Jesus journey that um, I've, I've had episodes in my life where I've had a really tough time, like believing that God was, was there and accessible, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so I just thought it would be good. We might uh, take a little look at that today, kind of challenge uh, people's thoughts on that. And that's the interesting thing about the Bible is that when you really start reading the Bible, it ends up reading you and Mm. and challenging your belief systems. Hey, do I believe that or not? That's so good. Yeah. So it's just the supernatural quality of the Bible a lot of times. And so, but it's, the thing is, it's all through the Bible that about uh, stories about how God was with people. And I mean, he says it a lot of times in the Old Testament. And so you have like, even in Deuteronomy 31, he says it twice. And then in Joshua 1, so it says like, I will be with you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then, mm. it, and then if you skip over to the New Testament in Matthew 28, 20, it says Jesus himself actually said, I'll, I'll be with you always. And so, you know, the challenge on that is it says in, in the Bible that Jesus this is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is there like an expiration date on these sort of things? You know, mm. is it just a story from 2,000 years ago? Or or is he such a, a supernatural God that he's, he's actually faithful and true to his word, no matter what the time element is, whether it's yeah. 2,000 years ago or whether it's now? I mean, is he the same as... Is is he really being honest and truthful that he's still like that even now? And so um, the basic truth in that, uh, the Bible says that God is with us every day. So really, the real question, as the Bible reads us, is, is do we believe what the Bible says here or not? And so do you believe what Jesus said when he said, I'll be with you always in Matthew 28? Mm-hmm. And so the critical thing with that is, is that, you know, how you answer that question 
will determine a lot of things about what your faith and it'll determine how you read the Bible. How much of it do you really believe? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what, what is the Bible saying to me here? That sort of thing. And so it's a, it's a pretty important point about, yeah. you know, this particular thing. Do we believe what Jesus is saying? Is it true or not? And I've heard it a lot of times. And I like, I believe this to be true that everything at the end of the day comes down to whether or not we're believing God, like everything. And whenever we walk that out, I mean, you can really tell what you believe by what you do or by what you're putting your faith in. And people all the time will say, I just need more faith. I just need more faith. I just need more faith. Mm -hmm. But the reality is in every decision and in every thought and in every interaction, you're always putting your faith in something. Something. Yeah. And and you're saying your actions will show what you're putting your faith in. Your actions will show it. And I think I've used this example before, but man, when I have faith that this chair is going to hold me, even if I do need to go a little bit on a diet, like I still sit down in it, Yeah, you know, and it's different if I'm, I can be in the other room and I can be thinking, man, I wonder if that chair is going to hold me today. Yeah. I wonder if it's, if does it, does it really, do you think it really is built to hold someone like me? Like, are the all the fibers together? Is the metal things? Do I trust the people who put this chair together? But at the end of the day, when I walk in and I sit down in it, that's me saying, yes, I believe this. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you start to have faith and you really choose to believe God, it changes everything about how you live. Everything. Mm-hmm. Because when we say that we believe the Bible to be true, it does something inside of us that stirs us into something more and that stirs us into an action and a life that says, I believe this is true. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I know sometimes the challenge, though, and even in your example of the, of the chair, I, like, I think a lot of times the cha- the challenge for us as humans is that we're a little bit short-sighted in that we we believe truth to be based on what we've experienced. Yeah. So I've sat in that chair a million times and it still holds me. Mm-hmm. And so like we're basing our belief system on experience or we're basing a lot of things on our feelings. Well, I just didn't feel like Ooh. he was with me and I didn't feel like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it becomes a real feeling centric sort of thing. And you're trying to, you know, the challenge on it is that you're talking about God who's invisible. And so the next little way people try to relate to this invisible God is based on feelings. And the thing is, though, is truth, especially truth that's found in the Bible, is not based on experience and it's not based on feelings. It's just, yeah. it's truth. And it, that's super important because, like, it's just like when you talk about marriage. Well, I fell in love with him when I was 18 and got married. You know, I fell in love which mm-hmm. means I had these very strong emotions of love toward this person. But the thing is, if you fell in love, then you can fall out of love and because emotions yeah. are really volatile and they change, especially with the social context that we're currently in. Things will be in vogue now, but they may not be in vogue two years from now. And mm-hmm. so, the you know, people, society is driven by feelings so much that it changes what society is saying is the truth. When... Yeah. When really the reality is that what the Bible says is true, what Jesus himself is saying about himself in the Bible never changes. Mm-hmm. And if and we have to be able to bank on that. And we we have to be able to put our trust, which which is 
kind of my definition of faith is when we're really trusting Jesus. We have to put our faith and our trust in that truth. And it can't be based on our experience because really, I mean, you know, if we're basing things on our experience, man, that's really short-sighted. Yeah. And what we experience a lot of the time is going to be exactly what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're going to design your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, those things that make you feel good, that mm -hmm. drive you, not because I deserve to be happy and I'm going to be happy no matter what. I mean, if you go down that road mm -hmm. and not end up not following Christ, making those sort of decisions. And innately, I mean, we're, we're the only... <laughs> We're the only, I'm going to say creatures, we're not creatures, we're humans created in the image of God, but we're the only creatures that have this mind with the capability of taking ideas and creating something. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? But as we've gone, gotten and grown as a society, it's like we take this to think that then anything that we feel must be true. Must be true, yeah. And that's that's so far from reality. Mm -hmm. Like just because you think it doesn't actually make it true. But whenever you can get grounded, and I think that's what what Jesus does, is he gets you grounded on a firm foundation. I mean, he says that everything else, building building a life on anything else is sinking sand. Like, it will fall every single time. Because if he really is the truth, then we have to be able to look at what he said and what he did and what he taught and believe it. But I think a lot of times we get especially whenever we start to talk about feelings or people will say, I didn't feel God in this way, they become super discouraged. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, like maybe they were like, man, I really, really prayed about this. And I really was trusting for A, B, and C. And then suddenly when it doesn't, when God doesn't show up in that way. Especially or in, in how that, they expected God yes, to show up. Like when we start putting that kind of expectation, it just falls short. But or whenever hard things happen to people, because this is this is a yeah. fallen, sinful world. Yeah, and life is hard. It is. And, you know, it's that people have that age-old question of then why do bad things mm -hmm. happen to good people? Mm -hmm. And the result, it's the result of sin. It's the consequences of sin. Yeah. And it's just fact. It's just what we're born into. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Yeah. So he's not saying like, you're so bad and now I'm going to pull away from you. That's right. not it at all. Right. He's like, man, I love you so much and I can see that the consequences of sin is death and I'm coming to save the world. And I want to save you and I want this relationship with you. But in that, I mean, when you start to get into this mentality that when you trust in Jesus or whenever you start following following him, that everything's just going to play out perfectly. That yeah. it's all going to go smoothly. Like, because I've accepted Christ, now I'm going to live this beautiful, easy, right. comfortable life. But I th and I think we've all fallen into that trap somewhere. Oh, yeah. But really, if you really think about it, if you look at the life of the disciples, mm -hmm. it, it didn't end well for a large majority of them. Most of them. All of them, mm -hmm. actually. I think I'm only one died a natural death out of all of them. Like, but I mean, they were shipwrecked. What mm -hmm. else? They were shipwrecked. They were crucified. Mm -hmm. They were stoned. Yeah. They were imprisoned. Like, that's the standard. Yeah. And I mean, even John the Baptist, I mean, that had to be a discouraging for him because he knew he was sent by God to proclaim Jesus. And here he finds himself in the 
prison. And I'm sure that was so discouraging for him, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. But it's whenever we let those things and we internalize those things to make it discourage us so that we start believing that God isn't with us. And and then it starts, you start doubting his character. Right. And then you doubt his character and then you're doubting if he's really there. Downhill. (laughs) And then because he's so relational and then you start attributing things to him that aren't not in his nature. Right. And it just gets really messy. So then Sandy, so what do we do? Well, I think one of my, one of my questions I want to throw out there, what if it's just a matter of changing or shifting, shifting in our perspective of how we see God or shifting in how we're perceiving him and shifting, like changing our attentions, changing our minds so that we're paying more attention to how he's speaking to us. Mm. And it may be different than what we really expect. Because I know, like, for me, for the longest time, I thought, you know, God should speak to you. I, like, in an email. He should send me an email. It should be in bullet points. Or a it, billboard. or Yeah, or some yeah. something really big and flashy that I can't miss. And it was, it was a challenging thing for me to learn that that's a lot of times, I mean, he may, he has that capability to be able to talk to you in big, grandiose ways. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times he doesn't. He's, he chooses other ways. And so a lot of times it's just a matter of us changing our perspective. Yeah. And actually looking for him. Yeah. In in unusual way, like different ways than w- w- what we would normally expect out of him. And, you know, there's a reason why, like, because you know how it says, like, that still small voice mm-hmm. and people always reference that. But it was super cool. I was listening to something and they're like, you know, because whenever you whisper, you have to pay attention. That's true. So if I'm sitting in front of you and if I'm just loud and obnoxious, you can tune me out. You can do whatever, you know, you can sit on your laptop and work in the middle of a room when conversations going on and you can tune it out whenever it's loud. But if I'm like, looking at you and I start to whisper, you immediately start zoning in. And I think that's what God does with us. Yeah, that's a really good example. Like that still small voice so that we'll tune in, Mm -hmm. so that we'll pay attention, so that we'll press in, so that we'll lean in and we'll say, okay, God, what are you saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good. Everybody goes through different seasons in their life as they follow Jesus. And and so in the No Boundaries little community that we have, we know each other pretty well and we can we can kind of read what's going on a lot of times in, in our, our good friends, in our little community, what's going on in their life. And so we have a phrase in No Boundaries that we like to use with each other. And so when we start the talking, you know, I, I just can't, I, I don't know if I'm hearing God correctly. And, um, and and maybe they're describing a struggle that they have. And so usually what we, we kind of do to kind of make us rethink the situation is we have this phrase and we say, what if that's not true? Yeah, I love this phrase. You guys, I love this phrase. I think this is probably one of the main things that started me on a perspective shift because I know that there was a time in my life when, when man, it seemed like everything was against me, you know, and I, I didn't, I wasn't believing God and I wasn't believing that there even was a God. And I know when I got to know boundaries and I was kind of walking through this, like, I'm just going to call it a mental health crisis. <laughs> 
but which you've covered on the other podcast that we have, the yes. Relief from Darkness podcast. Yes, but I was believing all of these mental health diagnoses that were spoken over me, and there was like four or five of them. So that was a lot of labels. Yes, a lot of labels. And, you know, I was told a lot of things, like I was never going to be able to live by myself or function in society or that I'd always need a caretaker and that I would always suffer from these extreme, you know, bouts of PTSD and stuff. And whenever I was believing that, I really lived into it. Mm-hmm. And so then, you, you took that label on as your identity. I did. And I thought, well, then I guess this is just how it is. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I got to know boundaries and got into a community of people and you know, y'all pulled me in and just said, when I would say, man, this is just how it is. This is how it's really going to be. God can't, he can't fix this. Mm -hmm. Or this is how my life is going to look. I'm always going to need a caretaker and I won't be able to do anything. And the fact that people would pull me in and say, hey, Molly, what if that's not true? What if that's not true, Molly? What if that's not true? And then I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? So it has that power to kind of stop the the thought patterns, the destructive thought patterns. And then it gives you freedom to dream. Mm -hmm. And that's what that phrase, you know, what if that's not true? Mm -hmm. And then instead of thinking in all the ways that you have to live under this oppressive thoughts and anxiety and depression and whatever the thing is, then you start to think, man, now I can dream about what life would look like if it wasn't like this. And as I start to dream about what life could look like not like this, then I can start to create that kind of reality with God in partnership. Because like I said, we're the only beings that that can create in our environments like that. And that's for a reason, because He wants to do that with us. Mm-hmm. And so when you can get out of that and start to dream with the Lord and then start to take action steps and and believing what he says, or even just, you know, once you get that question, then you can start exploring more. Okay, if that's not true, then then God, what is? It's very helpful. <laughs> yeah, so slight little rabbit trail off our um, original subject about oh. um, is God with us? My bad. <laughs> no, not at all. I think it was awesome. I think it's a great conversation. But and that that phrase though, what if that's not true? I think that's that's also a, a way to kind of break up the thought patterns that I don't know where God is, I don't feel him, I he's not here, and it's mm. a, a good way to break that up. The reason I throw that phrase out there is I, I want us to be challenged that that um, you know we've been invited as people, as little tiny humans, we've been invited into this this constant conversation that we kind of call prayer. This con- it's a constant conversation, but it's relational. Mm-hmm. And so that's super important. And Jesus really wants to have this, this constant conversation with us. He likes the dialogue because we're his kids, we're his children, and he, he wants that interaction. He wants us to, to be continually looking to him and having those conversations with him. And so, but that's an amazing thing to think about that the creator of the universe would want to have this constant conversation with us yeah, and constant relationship with us. And so if we think about that for a moment, that it's, he's the creator of the universe. I mean, you have to think he's so much smarter than, than us. He's so much bigger than us. He's way more powerful than us. He's way more intelligent and he's far more capable than we are. And so, what do we do on our end to stop or prevent our own selves from feel like hearing from him, knowing he's he's present with us, 
because he could speak to us in a million different ways. Mm-hmm. Because if he's truly the the God of the universe, he, he's not going to be restricted by, you know, does he speak English or not? Or, yeah. or he has to send me a fax or he has to send me an email in order to talk to me. You know, he can speak to me through a million different ways, whether it's yeah. through uh, through nature or... And, and we have some other podcasts that actually discuss the ways that he can talk to us. But there's a bunch of different ways that he can talk to us. But it also, it should push us, if we consider the fact that we are in a, in a relationship with the creator of the universe, but he's faithful and he's true. And what he says in his word, he never changes. And so we have to rely on that truth instead of looking constantly to our feelings. Do I feel him today or do I not? That thing's going to be, those feelings are going to be all over the board. Yeah. We can't, we can't rely on the whole feelings. Then thing. it's a roller coaster. Oh man. It's, it's a way roller coaster. So his presence, man, I mean, he's, he's here, but we just have to shift our thinking, our thinking patterns just a little bit. And then I know Dr. Lori talks a lot about in the journey of restoration being able to just continually choose mm-hmm. to focus on him, like find him. Where Jesus, where are you right now in this room? Where are you in this situation? Where are you in in you know my little plot in life right now? Mm-hmm. And so we have to turn our attention to him a lot of times. It has to be a lot of times it has to be a choice. Yeah. And that's where it's called. I mean, I know when Dr. Lori uh teaches in the journey of restoration, she calls it reframing. Okay. And so like, and reframing is going to be whenever we're like looking back, because if we serve how you just said, the God of the universe who created everything, and if everything's made by him and in him and for him and through him, then the truth of the matter is, is that he had to have been there through everything we've ever experienced. And if it says in the Bible that God is always with us, then he must have always been with us this entire time. Yeah. And so it's... But we're just not perceiving that. We don't... Right. We're not... We're not paying attention. Right. But whenever we do or say like, because he's outside of time and because he's always been there, it's never too late to find him in anything. So you can take the things that you've thought about or the things that have happened or that you've done from forever ago and insert Jesus into him and ask him ask him where he was in a certain situation. It's that constant conversation you. with him. So if you're yeah. having that conversation with him, yes. you can ask him where he was in that particular instance. Yes. And in every conversation you've ever had, you can say, Jesus, where were you when? Mm-hmm. Jesus, how did you feel when? And let him start to speak to you. And then you start practicing that. And then I like to call it reframe as you go. <laughs> What's that mean? So it means like, so even in the moment, so that you won't have to reframe it later or the moment that you start, um, you know, Dr. Lori talks about transitioning. So whenever she transitions into a new environment, uh-huh. she finds Jesus in it first. So I think she talks about doorways that every time she enters uh-huh. into a new doorway, yeah. she looks for Jesus. Yeah. And that's what I call reframe as you go, because then you're going to get a heavenly perspective in every environment that you go into. Mm-hmm. It's super fun. And I know that whenever we do this, Whenever we find him, that's whenever he starts to tell us things. But not only that, is how much different would you behave or would you try things if you really got it solidified in your heart that God was with you? Mm -hmm. Like, would you be more bold? I would would, think so. Right? Or would you be more courageous? Unless you're you're operating like in fear. Right. Right. 
Right. Unless you're operating in fear. That's, that's no good. But whenever you go and like, if you have to talk to someone or if you feel the Lord prompting you to pray for someone Mm -hmm. or to step out in faith into that new thing that he's inviting you into, if you can get your mind around, I don't need to fear because I know that the God who created everything Mm -hmm. is going with me. Like, mm-hmm. this is who your helper is. The creator of the universe is your helper. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's wild. That's amazing. Yeah, so um, so I just thought we would talk for a moment about the story uh, in First Kings about Elijah, the prophet mm-hmm. Elijah. And so I'm going to have Molly read to us, and it's going to be First Kings 19, but let me just give a little bit of a backstory, a little bit of context in that. So... So Molly's going to read out of chapter 19, but I'm going to tell you what's going on in chapter 18. And so the setting is in Samaria, Israel. And so um, a particular part of Israel that uh, was in the middle of a bad drought. And the king at the time was a really bad, really bad guy named Ahab. And his wife was even worse than him. And many people have probably heard of her, Jezebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, as a couple, promoted, um, you know, the the idol named Baal, um, and that was kind of like the official religion of the the kingdom at the time. But the problem was the rub or the tension was that the king and his wife Jezebel blamed this drought on Elijah, on Elijah, the prophet of the God of God, the living God, the God that we you know we as followers of Jesus follow and serve. So in chapter eighteen. I mean, it even says at the beginning of the chapter, God sent Elijah to King Ahab, (laughs) which I mean, if you think about it, that'd be like, that'd be a scary thing since the king didn't like uh, Elijah. So, but God wanted to send Elijah to the king so that uh, God could send rain on the land and break the drought. But the meeting didn't really go very well. So in the bad conversation, what it ended up is that Elijah challenged the king and Jezebel challenge them in this contest of between the prophets of, of Baal versus Elijah, the prophet of God. In other words, the contest was like, who's the better God? Yeah. Who's the stronger God? And then, um, and so as you read in chapter 18, it's really dramatic actually. And so um, they had this big contest and they did all these different things and really uh, it went badly <laughs> for the prophets of Baal. <laughs> Really badly. Yeah. And in essence, uh, Elijah won the contest. Woo woo. Which you think like you'd go out on a high, being Elijah, you'd be go out on a high. But what happened was in chapter 19, because he won this contest, Jezebel had it in for him. And mm-hmm. so she put out this death decree for him. And that, I'm not really sure like why after that big contest, somehow Elijah gave into that and really became fearful. And he ended up going on the run. And he ran far and hard to get away from her. Um, So now we're like in chapter 19. And it actually says, and Molly's going to read it in a second. It actually says in verse 3 of 19 that Elijah was afraid. Mm. And so he's gone from like this huge contest, this big showdown um, between the prophets of Baal and him. And he wins. And so you have to have a lot of boldness and a lot of courage to do that kind of contest. And so something happened between that and chapter 19, where now Elijah is afraid. And we don't really know the full reason why. Why did he give in to fear? Because it really changed everything for him. So I'm just going to have Molly uh, read First Kings 19. Yeah, 
before before we do, I just want to touch a little bit on that fear. Yeah, that'd be thing. a good idea. Like as and as we'll read, we'll see it even more. But like when you make a decision based out of fear, mm-hmm. you then have to keep making decisions based out of fear. It becomes kind of this identity. It's this new, like, false self Okay. that you start operating out of. Okay. So once you make one decision based out of fear, then it's like your lens gets dirty, and then every single thing keeps coming out of fear. And you saw, when did he get afraid? When he took his eyes off God. Yeah, that's probably true. He got afraid whenever he looked around and Uh saw his enemies coming after him. Yeah. And when he took his eyes off of the Lord and put his eyes on the enemy, what happens? So he got afraid. He produced, it produces fear. And, but, and then the the challenging thing is like he took his eyes off God. Now he, he's filled with fear, which means he's, since he's not trusting in God and looking at God, he's got to maintain or do the action for himself. Now he's got to like protect, he's got him to protect himself instead mm-hmm. of looking for the God of the universe to take care of him. And so then he makes, starts making decisions out of that, mm-hmm. out of that self-protection. And so just wanted to touch a little no, that's bit a really on good the fear. Point. Like, I'm glad you said that. There's a reason why perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. There's a reason why when we look at God, we can't also be looking at the enemies. Yeah, that's, I mean, you can't do both, can you? No, it's one or the other. But you can't follow fear and follow God. The yeah. two don't go together. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Okay. Okay, so you're going to read 1 Kings 19, yes. 9 through 14. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. So it says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Way to go, Molly. That was wow. good. Did you see the whisper? I know. That's amazing. Okay, so let's um, look at just a couple little points here. So poor Elijah, man, he's on the run. He's, a, he's on the run from Jezebel, and so he ends up in a cave. Spends the night. And um, and so like we just talked about, he's totally looking through the lens of fear. Fear's driving him. Fear's pretty much dictating everything that he's doing. And so the really amazing question out of verse 9, God actually asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And it, and it wasn't like God didn't know. I mean, right. I mean, he's the God of the universe. He doesn't need a GPS system. So... <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of like what God asked Adam in Genesis 3-9. If, if you remember in the creation story, 
after the fall. The first question, God shows up and, and he asks Adam, Adam, where are you? And really, mm-hmm. it was more like a, uh, for both Elijah and Adam, it was really mean like, how did you get here? Like, what went through your heart? What went through your mind? What What's the state of your heart? And, you know, did you feel like you had to control things on your own? And I mean, you're so far now removed from me. How did you get, did you forget that mm-hmm. I'm right here with you? Did you forget? And I think, and I just think for a moment that I think Elijah forgot. And that yeah. could be because he's being ruled by fear. Yeah, because he's looking at the enemies. Yeah, and so he probably just forgot that God was right there. And, and I mean, just a breath away, and I know that sounds really trite, but really it's a shift, and he forgot to look for God, and now he's being controlled by fear. Mm-hmm. And so then he has this you know, dramatic question in verse 10, I am the only one left. <laughs> so he's not even like looking at the situation correctly because later on in the verse, God actually says, no, there's like 7,000 of followers of, of mine. Yeah. So he did, he not, he's not even seeing things correctly. And he, and he should be um, not falling into that pattern of fear. And he should be shifting his gaze onto, Jesus, on, onto God. And so then God, you know, he wants to teach him something. So he put, he's in the cave. And so God is like, okay, Elijah, I need you to pay attention. I'm going to come and I'll show you where I am. So he does these dramatic things. And that's, you know, he does these dramatic things that I can, I can relate to this. I would, I would prefer the dramatic things. I would prefer the signpost on the side of the highway, you know, something big and bold. So he gives them the powerful wind and he gives them the earthquake and he gives them the fire. And Elijah realizes God's not in any of those dramatic things. Mm -mm. And so there's this last option of the still small voice. And Elijah realizes, ah, there he is. Okay, now... I'm I'm reminded that's where he is. He's in the little things that I need to shift my attention. I need to shift my perspective and, and look for him in those little things, those unusual things. And so God was there all along, but Elijah had to had to had to get past his fear and get the past the things that are clouding his perspective. So he's looking for God, like a lot of us would, in these big, easy, dramatic ways, when in fact if he just didn't buy into his fear, he would. God was there all along. Yeah, and that's what the thing about the fear, fear and anxiety and that worry, and whenever you get your eyes off of off of God, those things are so loud. You know what I mean? Like whenever the the pot gets stirred or those whirling thoughts come, and then suddenly, like you start to panic. And I think that's exactly what he did is he saw what was happening around him with his natural eyes and just started to panic. And then he had in the middle of that had then just forgotten what God just did. Because whenever you're in fear, you stop looking and you stop being reminded of the things that God has done. And it's like all of it goes out the window, Yeah, like how quick we are to forget. But this plays out in our everyday lives too, with each of us. I mean, how often do we do we see a situation and then suddenly we're more quick to to fall under fear instead of remembering all the ways that God's been faithful? Yeah, throughout this throughout our lifetimes. And he said, you know, that's the message in Exodus with all the Israelites is that they forgot, they forgot, they forgot, mm-hmm. they forgot, and that's what we see here is he forgot. 
He forgot that literally he just won. <laughs> he had just won. Yeah. And so like you say, you think he'd be on that. On the high. On the on the high, on the mm-hmm. mountaintop being like, wow, look at God. But then how do we apply that to our own lives? Mm-hmm. Like, man, he'll pull us through something. And then suddenly we're looking around and we're like, wait a second, but this one, this one, I don't know. This one, I don't know that I'm going to choose to believe that he's with me. This one, I don't know how it's going to play but out. But you said the key word, though. You said choose. Mm, yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, as we're all human and we've all known this, I mean, the fear and the anxiety gets, those are big feelings. And it just seems like sometimes it smothers like your decision, your choice to look for God in the, in the still small voice. And that's what, I mean, then even right in the New Testament. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and it comes down, like it really does come down to do we believe the the Bible is true or not? Or do we believe what how Jesus said that I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Are, are, are we going to believe that? Or are we going to uh, listen to the fears, listen to the feelings, uh, listen to the, what, what the world says about, about God and about Jesus? And so like in Matthew 28, 20, he said, uh, teaching them to observe all, uh, all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He actually didn't say, I'm with you part of the time when you're on good behavior or or part of the time when I'm in a good mood. It just says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And it really doesn't depend on our feelings. Yeah. And then it says in, in, in Deuteronomy 38, or 31.8, it says, it's the Lord who goes before you. He'll, he'll be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Don't be in fear or be, dima- or be dismayed. And so, again, it, it really comes down to the fact, do we believe what's being said here, or are we not going to believe that? And so, um, how we answer that question determines how much we're going to trust Jesus, and it really affects our walk, our relationship with Jesus, and it's really going to affect how, how we see His character and His nature. And if we, and if we don't believe these things, then there, it's... It's like this slow creep into our spirit that he's really not near and he's really not available and he's really not uh, around. And, and like the distrust of us not trusting him ends up creeping into our heart. And then we start acting like that. And it's know? shown in our actions. Yeah, that's really true. Every time. Yeah. And I know um, I was listening to a pastor out of New York, John Tyson. Uh-huh. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> And he put it this way is he was like, man, you can be on a hot summer day. You look at the sun and you see it and you feel it and you're in it and you've got such a good, clear, you're feeling the warmth on your skin. You know, you're, you're, you're in it. But then what happens during an eclipse? It's blocked. Okay. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the sun isn't still there. there. That's a really good analogy. And so he's like, what makes an eclipse from you seeing the sun Uh is you. It's your feelings. It's your belief systems. Uh It's those faulty thought processes. Mm -hmm. And then that's all you're seeing. Mm -hmm. But if you would go around or get out of that, then you would see the sun again. But it didn't change the truth. But it didn't that, change the truth. That the sun is actually right there. It's still right there. It yeah. hasn't gone anywhere. Something's just eclipsed it. Uh-huh. And when our when our walk with Jesus and our walk with the S O N of seeing the sun, uh-huh. 
it's going to be these thought processes. It's going to be this fear and this anxiety. And that's going to be the thing that eclipses. But nothing is based on our faithfulness. So just because we're not, quote unquote, feeling him, Uh and just because we don't feel like he's there, then if we start basing everything off of us, it's going to be this roller coaster of discipleship. Yeah, it really is. So then you'll wake up on the days that you're feeling him and you're feeling the warmth and you're seeing the sun, like you're going to be like, oh man, now's a really good day to follow Jesus. Uh I can do it today. Yeah. But then the next day when you're just not... It's all based on you. Feeling it. And then whenever it's based on you, it's unsustainable for a reason. Because the Bible isn't based on our faithfulness. It's based on His. Yeah. But He's the one that we're celebrating. He's the one that we're looking for. And He's the one that we have to find whenever something's eclipsed it. He's the one that we, whenever we feel that, that we got to get outside and get a new perspective, just like you said, and find Him again. Uh Like, no. You said you're with me. And choose to believe the truth that the sun is really there. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. And then I'm going to act like it. Yeah, good. That's really good, Molly. So good. Okay. So, Sandy, as we're wrapping it up, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think that's it. I think it's a choice, a choice to believe the truth that Jesus is with us. It's a choice that's not dependent on our feelings. Uh, not depending on uh, what's going on that day because the truth will never change. And it is it's exactly what you said. It's it's based on him and his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And that, man, I mean, it's just something we can put our whole entire life on, yeah. that he's always going to be there. Yeah, we'll falter every time. So then here's what I'm hearing as we wrap up. That above all, above all, God wants you to know that he's with you, that he loves you, that he paid his life for you, that he's never left or forsaken you, that he goes with you always. There's not a time in your life that he hasn't been present, not one single time. And we just want to pray if there's something eclipsing that that Jesus would reveal himself and show you a new perspective and that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear, ears to tune in to that, to that still small voice, ears to lean into the whisper and the courage to lean into the whisper, that you wouldn't look at the enemy, but that you'd get your eyes on the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, that he wants to speak to you and he wants you to know that he's with you, that you can do anything. And I really feel like for some of you listening, that's hard to believe right now that you're in this place where it doesn't quote unquote feel like it. And I'm telling you to choose to believe it. He's saying, please choose to believe that I'm here and I'll show you. He promises and he's a God who's faithful to his promises. So we're praying for you guys. And we're praying that you encounter the living, breathing Christ. So we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.